Welcome to another episode of the Worklife Podcast. To find out more about the Worklife Hub and to listen to other episodes, please go to www.worklifehub.com. Welcome to another episode of the Worklife Hub Podcast. I am your host, Agnes Uheretsky. If this is the first time that you are tuning in, let me just say a few words about this podcast. We speak to authors, researchers, business thought leaders, for them to share their knowledge and insight on work-life balance, leadership, culture change and organizational development. In our work at the Worklife Hub, we help companies reform their workplace to create a culture that embraces diversity and work-life balance. We are passionate about building vibrant and engaging workplaces that are great for employees and customers. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can do this via Twitter at WorkLifeHub, on our LinkedIn page or on our website. We're always happy to hear how you like the podcast or any other ideas that you would like to share with us. And now, on with the show. Welcome to the listeners for another episode of the Work Life Podcast. This is your host, Agnes Uheretsky. And today, my guest is Frederik Ansel, who is a professor of organizational behavior. And he's also the vice dean for research at King's College London in King's Business School. Good morning, Frederik. Hello, Agnes. Just as a way of introduction, you know, we speak to a lot of um, experts, thought leaders, researchers who study the world of work. And I'm very, very happy that today we're talking to Frederick, who is coming from more of a psychology and um, work psychology uh, point of view or angle, because uh, I always find that very, very interesting to talk to people who understand behavior. And so just as a way of introduction, Frederick studies motivational principles, which determine why and how people contribute to organizational success. Vital, vital issue today. Previously, he was visiting professor at ESSEC Business School in Paris and also the Bocconi University in Milan. He's affiliated with the Ghent University in Belgium, and uh, that's where he was professor of organizational psychology as well. And in addition to uh, that, he also serves currently as the president of the European Association of Work and Organizational Psychology. Now, I always like to do a bit of research about our podcast guests before, and I found a fantastic video of you, Frederic, on YouTube, where you are demonstrating your walking desk. Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) So before we go into the topic of how to get the current workforce motivated, May I ask you to share with listeners a little bit about your passion? What is it that drives you and what is the main focus of your research? What are your key questions that you would like to find the answers to? Uh, Okay, thank you for for the introduction. That is uh, uh, quite a lot. It's it's fun to hear that about yourself. Um, (laughs) So indeed, uh, it's probably important to stress that I'm a psychologist. Um, and I know people have lots of different thoughts about psychologists, but are often unsure what a psychologist does. And especially I call myself a psychological scientist, which means that I um, try uh, to adopt quantitative methods to study um, individual behavior, human behavior in the 
context of organizations. So you could sort of um, compare that to how an anthropologist or a biologist studies uh, monkeys in the forest, in the jungle, and you follow groups over longer uh, periods of time. You try to experiment. Sometimes you put somebody on the scanner to, to look at the brains uh, while they're doing some exercise or a task. And um, so we really try to use a, a scientific method to understand behavior. And from observing that behavior, we try to understand underlying motivational principles about why and how people behave as they do at work. And um, I'm particularly interested in um, the link between uh, the link between uh, people, people's behavior behavior and the strategy of organizations. So you have a lot of uh, strategy scholars and economists that study uh, organizations at a sort of a macro level. And my argument is always, but somehow it needs to translate to the individual behavior because it's the people that make the place. It's the individual people that make decisions, that come up with new ideas, that implement the ideas, that, that go out of their way to change something. So I'm very interested. So if, if you have decisions at the organizational level or leadership practices, how do, does that affect individual behavior and individual people? And so that is my focus, trying to make that link and especially look at um, what means that people are motivated to learn and to take initiative and to come up with new ideas. Well, fantastic. Thank you so much for giving us this insight. On the one hand, of course, this totally resonates with the work we do at the Work Life Hub and the things we like to address, because we also believe that an organization is the sum of its people. Um, and how can we make this experience much more relevant and, and positive for the employees, um, for them to bring their whole selves to work and, and be able to really bring their best selves to work. And on the other hand, also, because I believe that your work is so absolutely vital, especially in the current conversation about AI and robots and machines, because I still believe that a lot of what makes organizations successful is behavior and changing and helping people to change their behavior, making new behaviors, their habits for excellence, for innovation, for for getting out of their comfort zone is what really drives a company and not so much uh, the software that is that is running it. Um, what do you think are now the main challenges that organizations face in terms of behavior, in terms of groupthink, in terms of um, motivation. Uh, yes, very, very good question, but also a very challenging question. Uh, indeed, we live in, in a times of a great change and a lot of transitions are happening. And um, when there's a lot of uncertainty, people are experimenting and trying different approaches. And at this point, it is often unclear what will work and what will not work. It's like trying to build a plane while you are flying. And, and that is a bit of a challenge for um, a lot of organizations uh, at this point. So what you see is that organizations and, and leaders and managers are struggling with a sort of a fundamental tension between, on the one hand, uh, letting go, giving people lots of freedom and autonomy, and on the other hand, one, wanting to take control and be very directive. And you see this tension in all sorts of organizations, and you see 
how people have difficulty are struggling with how to solve this tension. Should we be very restrictive and tell people what to do, what sort of behaviors we expect and incentivize those behaviors? Or should we just give people a lot of freedom and, and hope for the best and see what they come up with? And so this fundamental tension, you can see that in a lot of HR practices in and how how they um, work in conditions, for instance, do you want people to be in the office from nine to five, or could you just let people work when they want, how they want, where they want? And so you see these things these thing come up everywhere, and some people say, well, it's just a, a new generation that will have to adapt to that, but I'm not sure it's a new generation. I think these are fundamental questions that relate to, to all ages and all generations. One of the um, hypotheses that we have, um, and I'm going to now run it by you and see what you think and, and whether you have also uh, tried to, to crack this nut, so to speak, is this tension also between who we are outside of work, where we are consumers and citizens, with, with an increasing number of choices and freedoms to do shopping where and when we want, online, offline, to give feedback, to interact, um, to make our voices heard. And then we have this very restricted place, which is our work, where we still have to follow relatively rigid rules and processes. Do, do you find that this could also contribute to this tension? Uh, yes, exactly. I, I think that is part of the tension. And I actually have a, a very strong view on that. I think we need to bring in uh, our lives and our identities into work. I know that for maybe the past 30 years, there has been sort of an idea that there's a separation between work and life. And you can also hear that resonate in the, in the term work-life balance, as if there's a part that is purely work where there's no life and then you have a part where there is life and there's no work and I think these two uh, in the future will be much more integrated and also it'll be helpful if you look at it for instance in if we look at the problems that we currently have you know, so you see there's a lot of people dealing with stress there's a sort of an epidemic of burnout going through western industries and I think a lot has to do with, with that people do not feel appreciated as a person in work and do, are not able to express their core values. And so um, so we study uh, authentic functioning and authentic leadership in, um, in the workplace. Uh, and what we see is that if both leaders uh, and people have an opportunity to behave authentically, that they feel uh, much more motivated because they can enact their true values, and that not only helps them feel better at work, but also help them being more productive. Um, and so I think we need to bring that back. And for instance, one of my other research areas is about feedback. And if you follow a, a feedback course or you read about feedback, often one of the recommendations is do not give feedback on the person or the personality or the identity, just give feedback on behavior and results. 
And I don't think that is true because people come with their own values, desires, aspirations. And if you want to give feedback you'll, and you want to really touch people and make a connection, you'll have to acknowledge who they are and what they want in the workplace. And so I think we need to bring the identity back in the workplace. Do you do you also come across the this notion that you, because you mentioned authentic um, functioning and authentic leadership, and f we see quite often that the bottleneck is indeed between line managers, um, people managers, and the employees, um, and and is it because the behaviors, the strategies you need to deploy? to become a leader, to become a manager, um, are quite contradictory to then being a good manager, being a good leader. Um, how, how do you see this evolving? Do you, some, some people say we just need to get rid of line managers, they serve no more purpose. Some say we need really to train these people and have different types of selection. How can we ensure that the people who are directly responsible for their teams are able to allow their employees to bring their whole selves to work, to be authentic, to give really valuable feedback, but feedback that is not hurtful or or has a negative consequence. Wow, there's a, there's a lot. Yes, <laughs> I, re I just realized. <laughs> no, 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 very fundamental questions, and there's a lot in that question. So I think um, we need... Feel free to unpack uh, whichever yes, part yes. you want. So I think we need to move away from a couple of concepts. So one of the concepts is that leadership is a sort of a skill that you can learn and it's just a set of behaviors. I, I don't like the idea that we can train leaders because then it sounds like a, a trick, something yeah, like you learn a dog in a circus, right? And it's it's not a set of behaviors that you should learn because then it's it's absolutely not authentic and and then people so so i often have leaders asking me like can you learn me how to motivate people and then i say whatever you do do not try to motivate people Mo people motivate themselves and you just get out of the way <laughs> in doing that so you, you enable the conditions so that people can do their work as they want to um, but you cannot motivate people. People will motivate themselves. So um, I think we probably need another sort of leadership that also steps away from the idea of having a hero leader. So that the yeah. hero leadership idea is that the leader is the person with the most expertise, best skills, that knows it all, and is on top of the hierarchy. And whenever there's a problem, he'll he'll jump in, or he or she jump in to solve the problem. And he knows better, and he'll tell the, the, the his subordinates, his employees, what they need to do. This is not longer possible in this time, um, uh, because there's so much complexity, so much uncertainty. The people on the floor are the experts, and they know what to do. And so the question is, what will be the role of the leader in, in doing that? And um, I think the, 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 there's st we still need line managers, we still need leaders, because they need to develop the structure and uh, wherein people can work and flourish. So I think it's an old question, but it's still an important question that every leader should ask um, him or herself, and that is, why should anyone be led by me? And... Mm. 
if you think about that, then it is about the identity and the story of the leader. So what I think is if you want to be a good leader and motivate people, well, you don't have to motivate them, but to get them behind you, you need to tell a story about why we are here and what we are doing. And you first need to tell that story about yourself, why you are in that position and where you are going and why you are going in that direction. So that means that is partly about the identity of the leader. And while while telling that story, that story must invite the employees to be part of that story so that they can play a role in that story, take up a role and co-create that story. So it's not about, and some people have thought about that, that leadership is about, especially charismatic leadership, is telling a persuasive story and people will follow. You can do that, but that won't take very long. So you need to tell a story that is open enough so that people can play a role in that story and co-create that story. And I know that is a challenge because that means you talk about your own identity, about the identity of the organization, where you are going, and you ask people, so who are you and why you are here and how do these two identities and those two stories, how can they fit and how can we create that story? And I know this sounds very abstract, um, we can make it more concrete, but I think that is maybe the essence of leadership in, in, in these days. I mean, it's absolutely fascinating. And, and to be honest, I think this is the first time someone has explained it so succinctly. Um, so thank you very much, uh, <laughs> because that that is still a very, very big question mark within organizations, especially, I think, with uh, the whole employment or employee cycle that this kind of um, philosophy, or <laughs> I'm not even sure how to call this that you just explained, it, it in yeah. a way would have to be inscribed from before you even work in that organization, right? To up to recruitment and candidates and selection. And that's perhaps also where there's a disconnect of the recruitment process and phase is really still geared towards this ideal worker type. And then we hope that the people who we will recruit based on these profiles and job descriptions will come in and be motivated and wanting to be part of the story and when bringing uh, something. So do, do you see that there is a lot to be modernized in the whole employee life cycle to achieve really the, what this would be about? Yes, yes, very much. And, and I like um, your analysis that if we want to sort of uh, adopt this philosophy, if you want, or perspective on leadership, we'll need to embed it in all these different practices. And I think if you look at the most recent research, that is actually happening. So we're examining how we can do that in recruitment and selection and onboarding and in performance management. So I'll, I'll give some examples. Um, so I, I agree with you. So what we're doing is we have this job description and we have a, a couple of characteristics and roles that we have in the job description. And then we go to nowadays we go to the job market and we try to find somebody that fits within a, a, a perspective that we currently have or we try to push somebody in that pickle we, we, we would say like um, well the per 
person, he could fit that job description, but we'll train him a bit so that he really fits into that. And I think my perspective on that is that we need to turn the equation around and that we look at what sort of talents and and unique strengths are there on the job market and we find some unique strength in a person and then we think now how could we create a role or a job description that fits the person so that this unique strength can maximally contribute to the organization so instead of adapting people to the job we would uh, adapt the job to the unique strengths of people. So that is one way we do that. And for instance, um, one of my colleagues at uh, London Business School, Dan Cable, uh, has done fascinate, fascinating research on how the onboarding process works much better if instead of... You, so onboarding typically has the assumption that we need to socialize people and the culture and the values of the organization. So what we want in the traditional perspective is that people adopt the values and the way things are done and the practice and the norms of the organization. And we have an onboarding process to do that. And what uh, our colleagues from London Business School have found is actually if you do it the other way around and you allow people during the onboarding process to really emphasize their own values, communicate about their own values, show their environment, who they are, what their identity is, that you get much better effects and people are much more motivated, feel better in the company and are performing better. And so again, that is uh, turning the equation around. And maybe a third example is um, if you look at performance management, performance management till now has very much looked at past behavior. So what happens is in a lot of companies, once a year or, or twice a year, the line manager will sit together with his employee and they look back and how was your performance and what could you have done better and what was going okay. So maybe we also need to turn that around and first start instead of giving feedback, start from feed forward and mm. ask people, so how do you see yourselves in at work within three years. So what would be your future work self? What is your identity within three years? What do you see yourself doing? Um, what are your aspirations? And then we can analyze what would be needed to get there. And what is your behavior and your strengths, your weaknesses, competences that are currently in place or not in place to get to that behavior. And then we can f give feedback, starting from that future work self, and give feedback on the steps and the progress you're making towards that future work self. And you'll see that people will be much more accepting of feedback when they have a feeling that they're moving towards that future work self. And it's not about targets. Don't, don't understand me wrong. So and people think we need to give people goals and clear targets. But actually, that is not so motivating because targets are often unconnected to the person and to the identity. And so what is lacking in targets is the question, why? And who am I in relation to the targets? So you first start from the person, from the identity and the future within three years. Who do you want to be within three years? Uh, where do you want to be? It could be that it's not in the company, but 
let's assume that it's in the company. So what role would you want to do and how would you like to work and how can we make progress towards that future work self? And one of the most motivating things in life is making progress. Each time you go forward, you make progress, you learn something, you achieve something that is so motivating and people build self-confidence, self-efficacy. And so that would be a completely different take on the traditional performance management cycle. Absolutely. And and I think that, I mean, I couldn't agree more. Um, and also, if you you feel that your organization, your employer is giving you um, a, a perspective on the future, you feel that you can grow and you can learn and you feel more safe in the knowing. But also, I think you're more willing to take the pain that comes with growing and learning and doing more and stepping out of your comfort zone. Because that's somehow a little bit what the, what my feeling is nowadays with organizations that that we we don't fully acknowledge sometimes the pain that people go through to be able to sell more or invent more or create more. A lot more pressure is put on the individual to to go beyond their current skills and 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 step up to new skills that the market simply demands. Yes, yes, I I agree, and we often un underestimate that. And um, I think there 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 are two reflections, considerations I I have about that. The first one is indeed. Um, what we need to create is uh, a, a, a concept that we call psychological safety. And what we see is that only when people feel psychologically safe to speak up, to be honest, also to be honest about insecurities, weaknesses, yeah. you, you need to create a sort of a climate where people can do that, that they are certain that the environment and the organization will not take advantage of that. And so that is a very important role for leaders. And, and that's what I was talking about when I say leaders need to create the environment and architecture so that people feel safe. That is one of the safety. So that is, that is very important. Um, and a part, I must say, is also job certainty because we know one of the most stressing things knowing if your job will be there within three months or within a year. So uh, sometimes we say, well, we live in a new time where uncertainty is part of the formula and people will have to learn to deal with uncertainty. From a psychological perspective, I do not agree because from a psychological perspective, people have not evolved. We are, our, our brains and our psychological makeup is still the same like 100 years or, or 500 years ago. And that means that uncertainty is extremely stressing and we need, uh, and there are a lot of individual difference, of course, but we need a certain amount of certainty. And I think companies still need to take care of that. Having said that, the other consideration I have is when you talk about the future of people, about their future work self, it could also be that one of the conclusions is that from both the perspective of the employee or from both the of the perspective of the organization is that the employee will not longer have a role within the company when three years it could be that the, the this person says well i want to grow towards a more uh, a leadership role or i want to grow towards an expert role or i want to create my own niche 
And it could be that the organization said, well, that sounds fascinating, but that is not the way, the direction where we're moving to. And so probably within three years, we'll need, you'll need to find some other place. And it's important for leaders to also have that conversation and there to have that conversation. Because what I often see is that leaders refrain from talking about this till the moment comes that the, the person does no longer fit in the organization. So we need to be very open. And it's not it's not that bad. Uh, people do not have to stay forever in the same company. You can talk about that. And, and people need to be open. And organizations also contribute to the long-term careers of people outside the company. And there's actually research shows research showing that people who have left the company and you have very good relations with them and you keep them in your network that they still contribute to organizational success so we need to have a much more broader and flexible view on careers inside and outside the organization crossing the boundaries of the organization and so if we adopt a sort of a network perspective of our organization with more fluid boundaries we'll learn that it could be that somebody leaves the organization but still works with us and maybe after five years having learned new competences comes back to the organization. So that also means that we need to have a different view on the structure of the organization. Absolutely. So much um, really fascinating um, ideas and pointers there. And I would still love to co continue and unpick that. But unfortunately, time is running very fast <laughs> on the <Of> podcast. <laughs> So before we move to our last question, may I ask you, Frederick, to tell listeners where they could find you, find your work, read more about your work and uh, perhaps contact you? Oh, of course. Um, so if people would uh, want to, to hear more about uh, my work, they can simply follow me on Twitter. I often post uh, things on, on Twitter, mostly in English, sometimes uh, some things in, in Dutch or even in French. And uh, so uh, my Twitter handle is uh, fancyl. So that is F-A-N-S-E-E-L. Or they can just drop me a note, send me an email at frederick.ansiel at kcl.ac.uk. Perfect. Thank you so much. And now to the last question, which is usually the same here on the Work Life Podcast. If I could ask you, Frederick, um, to give one advice to a CEO about how he or she can create this psychological safety, can empower their employees to bring their whole selves to work. What would be your advice? Where could they start? I, I, I think a starting point would be thinking about uh, employees like they think about customers. Nowadays, everyone talks about customer centricity, which means adapting your services, your products to the individual needs and aspirations of the customer, well, I think it's time we do the same with our employees. And so we need to talk about employee centricity and adapting the way we deal with people at work, um, customized to individual needs and aspirations. And and so that is, a, I think, a different philosophy uh, on how we manage people. Absolutely. Now, thank you so much. It has been a fascinating conversation. I have learned a lot and you have especially connected a lot of the dots for me and I hope also for listeners and I'm sure they are going to take away a lot of value from this conversation. So thank you for joining me and sharing your expertise and your passion. You're welcome. Thank you very much for this interesting conversation.